Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. I want to greet all our campuses right now. Uh, good morning at Old Town Campus. What's up to you guys? We're glad you're with us right now uh, with Pastor Dwayne. Good morning in Novato in Marin County. Good morning to the Hills, Novato. Good morning to the Hills, Tulare Street. Good morning to my set-free soldiers out at, the, out at the ranch out there. Good morning to you guys. And finally, we want to introduce, it's their first time joining us online, is, or not online, but on a screen today, is the Hill Selma. Welcome home, guys. We're glad you're with us. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go. And yeah, happy uh, Veterans Weekend to all you veterans. Thank you, that, those of you that have served. Um, I grew up in a military home. My father was a master gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps, 32 years, Korea, Vietnam. My brother was a Marine. He served in Vietnam. And then um, I was a pastor in Oceanside. So most of my, met, like half of my church were active Marines and then another quarter were like retired Marines. And I remember one day someone was asking me, they were like, hey, what, what does your church do for um, security in case there's like a shooter or something? I said, the Marines. They're like, no, no, like, do you have a team? I'm like, no, we have the Marines. <laughs> like, someone evil walks through the door, they will be dead. Trust me, I'm not worried about it. Sometimes I'm worried about the innocent that walk through the door with these guys. But anyways, um, just lo- love, the, love the military, love the sacrifice that you guys make for us, and we celebrate that this weekend. Hey, I want to remind you, um, Pastor Scott talked about Christmas in the courtyard, and if you're at a campus right now, um, We want to invite you to come to Christmas in the Courtyard, but the reason we do Christmas in the Courtyard, I want to remind you of this. Um, They did a statistic recently. It was 86% of people that come to church for the first time or come back to church for the first time in a long time, it's not because they got a flyer. It's not because uh, they thought the event was cool or the church was cool. It was because their friend invited them or a family member invited them. And this is a great moment for you to invite someone maybe who hasn't been to church ever or in a while because they can come. It's, you know, if they've got kids, it's a great, great event. Uh, all the campuses, you guys are all welcome to Christmas in the courtyard. God knows I went to both the trunk or treats and ate all your candy. You can come to Christmas in the car- courtyard, right? Um, but... I want to encourage you to start thinking about who, who are you praying for that um, you could invite to our Christmas Eve services? Because the whole point of Christmas in the courtyard is to help those people that are may, maybe don't go to church show up and go, oh, they weren't that bad. I thought they were going to be lizard people. Um, like they were really nice and my kids really enjoyed it. And then you invite them, invite them to the Christmas Eve service. They hear the gospel. Who knows what happens from there? Um, we're doing this um, kind of an anniversary of Raised to Life. We're one year into the Raised to Life Gospel Initiative. And um, it's been, God has done some amazing things in the last year. And last, last week I talked about all those things. So if you weren't here, um, you can go back and listen to that. But Raised to Life really is a gospel initiative where we wanna raise up new disciples, new churches, and new buildings, right? And um, 2,000, we wanna see 2,000 people in two years say yes to Jesus. 1,000 people step into the water of baptism. We wanna see, um, see five new churches here in the West planted, 10 overseas. We wanna raise up new buildings. One of the buildings here at North Campus is a, is a multi-purpose youth building o- over on that side of the property. We have fellowship areas at, at OTC. We've got a lobby in uh, Novato. We've got uh, 
we set up a whole new awesome parking lot and reading program at the Tulare Street. And um, we just happened to get another campus. God gave it to us this year during, during that too. Um, and we're just glad that they're meeting right now in um, Selma. So thank you guys for being with us. But we also are doing this today because I, I, like if you came to Christ in the last year or maybe you came back to Christ or you kind of are bring your foot back in, I don't want you to miss out on what God's doing because God is blessing our church and I don't want you to miss out on that. So um, I had a friend years ago. Um, it's interesting. You know, you go to seminary, you go to grad school and you study the theology and all that. They don't really teach you how to be a pastor. I'm going to be honest. They teach you theology. They teach you the Bible. Um, but you learn to be a pastor by uh, like being in the church, believe it or not. And, and again, I want to remind you, who's the church? We are. There you go. That was pretty good. I was actually much quieter, though, than the previous service, you know. <laughs> Normally, you guys are the wild ones. <laughs> Just saying, okay? So, um, you're the church. And what I found is, like, when I got in, into pastoring, I had no idea how to do it. And I actually learned from other people, members of the church, how to pastor. And I remember um, I had this, this one... Um, one Monday, I came into the office, and um, the church I, was, I had planted, we were behind in our giving. We were in the red, and I was just praying, like, Lord, what are we going to do? And I showed up, and I asked the treasurer, I go, hey, how, how are we doing? Are we, are we tanked this weekend? Like, what's going on? And they said, oh, no, no, there was, like, uh, we're, over, we're over budget. Like, we caught up for the month. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank you, Lord. I go, why? Like, what happened? They were like, oh, well, there was one, one gift, and it was lar much larger than they normally give. And I go, how much? And it was a lot more. And I go, well, who is this? I want to thank them. And then um, she said, oh, it's Susan. And I knew Susan. Susan was a single mom. Susan, um, she was a nurse. Um, she, you know, li li lived in an apartment close by and loved the Lord and really probably loved the Lord more than I did as a pastor. Like she just had a deep connection with Jesus. So I, I got on the phone and I called her and I'm like, man, like she gave a lot of money. Like that, what is she, an heiress? Did she like inherit something? Like what's going on there, you know? And I called and I said, hey, Susan, like um, one, thank you for the gift to the church. And two, um, that was an incredible blessing because it pulled us out of the red. Thank you. And she's like, oh yeah, no problem. I go, but Susan, that was a lot more than what you're, regular giving is and she goes oh yeah just every now and then the Lord prompts me to empty my savings and give it to him so I did it and I went <gasps> I'm like Susan that's irresponsible you can't do that <laughs> and she she just stopped me like mid-sentence and she goes don't you rob me of my blessing pastor right. I was like what and and she began to share her story of generosity and how she, just God prompts her every now and then to just take steps of faith with her finances. And she goes, and he's, he's never failed me. And I've always had everything I needed. And that savings account always comes back. And I was like, okay, thank you. I'm going to shut up now. Um, <laughs> and she gave me a book um, by a guy named Chip Ingram called The Genius of Generosity. And I kind of half read it. I was like, yeah, whatever. I went, I went, 
I went to seminary. I don't need books um, kind of thing. And I, I had moved on. And then um, years later, I became the pastor of this church. I remember getting to this church and I was like, oh my gosh, this church is way bigger than mine. I'm drowning. And Pastor Steve Davidson was giving me a lot of coaching, but I felt like I still needed more. So um, um, I remember I was at a retreat and the, the speaker of the retreat was Chip Ingram, the guy that wrote the book. And I'm kind of a bold guy, I just asked. So I just walked up and I'm like, hey, Chip Ingram? He's like, yeah. I go, hey, um, would you mentor me? Because I'm drowning here. I'm a pastor. Of the, and, you know, he's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he didn't want to, I could tell. But I just kept asking. So he was like, okay, well, email me, give me a call and we'll see. And he thought I wouldn't. So I did. Yeah, and then he, he gave me, he's like, okay, I want you to listen to all these teachings of mine, write a paper on it, and read this book, The Genius of Generosity. And I was like, all right. So I listened to all of it. I wrote the paper. He didn't think I'd do that. Um, <laughs> and then I read his book, and I wrote a little, little excerpt on that and sent it to him. And he was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to mentor you for a year. And to be honest, like, the meeting with him was fine. But um, when I read The Genius of Generosity, I actually read it that time. And there was something really brilliant, the concept of generosity and how, how that changes your life when you become a generous person. And I know we're about to enter into Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas time. And th this is when we all tend to hopefully get naturally generous. Well, I want to pour gas on your generosity because I believe it'll, it'll change your life, especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So today's text Actually, it comes from the Bible, but I remember reading it in this book, and the concept I'm giving you comes from that. And it's Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. So I'd love it if you're able to at every campus if we would stand in honor of God's word. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... The light within you is darkness. Oh, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I'm going to give you four reasons why I honestly believe that uh, generosity changes your life. Okay. Um, when, you, when you make the journey to become a generous person. And you may think like, well, I am a generous person. Well, when you make the journey to become a more generous person, okay? Uh, no, number one is this, generosity will bless you. Jesus said it himself. Um, sometimes, like, there's a phrase someone says. You, you ever, like, quoted someone? Um, so I remember years ago, I read a quote from a guy named G.K. Chesterton that said, fallacies don't cease to be fallacies when they become fashion." And I thought, wow, that's deep. And that's just been one that has stuck with me my whole life. I use it. Um, it's ju just, you know, it when I'm watching the news or I'm watching what's going on in the world, I use that little axiom, right? So Jesus had those. And in the early church, they would use these little axioms. They'd be like, remember what Jesus said, right? And um, in the book of Acts, um, 
I believe, I believe it's, it's, it's Paul, Paul speaking, and he quotes what all the early church was saying to Jesus, right? And he says this in Acts 20, 35. He says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, Jesus, right out of his mouth, said it's more blessed to give than than receive. How many of you would know that by experience, right? You enjoy giving gifts? Most I could, this group just likes gifts, I can tell. You're a greedy bunch of people. <laughs> Kidding. Akid. Listen, it, it always is more blessed to give than receive. You know, a guy, um, a guy that uh, helped disciple me, he was a farmer, and I remember he, he lived by that principle his whole life. He'd just be like, well, Jesus says more blessed to give than receive, so that's what I do. I try and, try and give. And I remember he was telling me, he's like, I retired, and I didn't have... I wasn't making enough money to give away in my retirement, so I went back to work so I could give more. And I was like, what, you did that? And he's like, yeah, don't you believe Jesus? I was like, shut up. Anyway, so, (laughs) but look what it says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says it this way. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Right? A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The, the, the image that Proverbs is giving is almost like, like, like a stream, right? That a stream is always flowing and giving its water away. And um, if, if, if a pond doesn't give its water away, do you know what happens to it? It becomes stagnant and it becomes a swamp, right? So th- this is the concept that Solomon is u- using in, in, in Proverbs, Right? The other reason um, generosity is genius, number two is this, is that generosity actually connects you with others. Um, when you begin to, to be, become a generous person, you start getting connected with people you would never, ever have met. You never, ever would have linked up with, and you jump in on whatever cause it is that they're, they're in on. You become part of that. As a matter of fact, um, in the Bible, there's, there's two Johns in the New Testament. I want to help you understand this. Okay, so we have John the Baptist, right? The founder of the Baptist church. He wasn't the founder of the Baptist church, but he was John the Baptist, and he was Jesus' cousin, right? He's the guy that baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and that was John the Baptist. He never wrote anything. He was beheaded by King Herod. We never heard, heard from, from him again, but ju- just in the Gospels, John the Baptist. Everyone say John the Baptist. That was much better. You better be saying it at the campuses. Okay, so listen. John the Baptist. Then you had the disciple or the apostle John, right? And he was uh, one of the younger disciples. Uh, You know, according to him, he was the one that Jesus loved most. I think Jesus loves me more, but whatever. Um, uh, He wrote the gospel of John, and then he wrote 1 John, that's a letter. Second John, a letter. And third John, right? So he wrote four books in the New, New Testament. He didn't know he was writing the Bible. He just was writing these things and God used them, okay? So that John, in, in um, the book of third John, verse eight, he, he's, he's, he's talking about um, church planting and the mission of God. See, back in, 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 in the time of the first century in the early church, it was viral. Like churches like, would show up in a city, pop up in a city, get started. And then pretty soon, 
um, they, they would disciple people and they would train them up and then they would send them out and say, you go to Ephesus. Okay, now you go here. Now you go here. And people were being sent out to tell, to gossip the gospel, to tell the good news of Jesus. And they would start these churches and it required money. So people were giving towards that. And John, he says this in 3 John verse eight. I love what it says here. He says, therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth, right? So when we are generous towards a gospel initiative, here's what happens. You are a fellow worker. In 2017, we did something simpler called Focus 2020. Um, it was similar, right? And um, we, we wanted to plant three churches in, in, um, here in California. We ended up planting four. And um, some of them make it, some of them don't. That's kind of the parable of the sower. That's how it works. But you're not to stop sowing is the thing. You just keep sowing seed, right? And you reap what you sow. If you don't sow any seed, you don't grow any plants, right? So we just keep sowing seed. And one of the churches that popped up actually was a church called Set Free Sanger. And um, that, that one, we weren't even planning on helping plant. And all of a sudden it kind of came out of nowhere. And we were like, well, all right. Let's do this one too, Lord. And um, God has done some amazing things with it. I could tell you those things that started, that started you know, back in the teens. But um, I thought I would bring Pastor Jacob Zalian up real quick just to tell you about what God's doing right now with Set Free Sanger. And, and um, just in a few years. Okay, before we start, because I got this wrong last service. When did Set Free Sanger start? Uh, four and a half years ago. Four and a half years ago. So that's 2019. 2019. And a half. In Sanger. Yep. Okay, in Sanger. And Pastor Jacob um, just set out in faith. You had no money. You had no, no people. Money. $500 in the bank. Team of six. Team of six people. Yeah. You were no cleaning education. pools. Yeah, no cleaning education. No education. Off the streets. Broke. All that. Just On in love with eight, Jesus. Food stamps. Yeah. Yeah, love there you go. Jesus. Just in love with Jesus. And he said, I want to start a church. And um, we said, okay. So what's happened in those four years, tell uh, In those four years, we've been able to, uh, to minister to our town, to reach the lost. And one of the number one ministries of Set Free is we go around and we have a black van that's wrapped that says Set Free Search and Rescue. Uh, we have a little black and big one, and we search for homeless people and people that are on drugs. If you have uh, friends or a family that's on drugs and you tell me where they're at, you give me a picture, we'll go and either by love or by force, we help them to get off the streets. We... Uh, <laughs> Have a, we run a three-phase program. This is our number one ministry of what our church does. Um, we have a, a ranch in a town called Alpaw, an old Southern Baptist church, and um, we detox them there. That's our first phase. We detox them there, and, and we start to, to introduce them to who Jesus is, and, and we start that training there. They're at the ranch for about two months, and then after two months, we bring them back to Sanger, where we have four men homes, um, and we have one female's home, a women's home. And in that home, that's the second phase, where it's a six-month discipleship, where we do discipleship, work blessings. Everybody that's in our programs is able to give a Bible study at the drop of a dime that they put together that's scripturally sound without taking it out of context. And then after the second phase, we help them to get jobs. We put one guy through diesel truck driving school and help them to get a job. Other people, we put them through other type of training yeah. to help them get work as well. But wait, there's more. You can clap yeah. later. And, and then so with all that, then, so we have a third phase home where, where they're getting, they're working, they're saving up money, they're buying motorcycles because we ride motorcycles too. And then um, so with all that, God has been just blessing us and, and it's just, 
It's about giving everything and serving him with, with all of our life. Another pastor asked me, hey, how did you make it? I said, well, there was no plan B. I'm all in, right? And we gotta be all in on this walk. And God's kind of put this burden in our heart to start this 365 campaign. And, and it's what's the value of one life? And when I read scripture, if what's the value of one life to Jesus, it was worth him giving all of his life. And so with us, it's what's the value of one life? Is it worth a dollar a day for one year at a one-time payment of $365? We have a booth in the back. We have QR codes. You could talk to some people that have been through the ministry that God is, you know, transform their life and um, if you want to partner with us go out and search and rescue and throw some homeless in the street and love them and tell them about Jesus hey we're here to serve and we're here to love listen how many people right now are are in sober living so in our program right now first second and third phase we have about 38 people 38 people and how many show up every Sunday to worship at set free Sanger uh it, up and down but around 80 around 80 people it's awesome give it up for set free Sanger guys thanks bro thank you I first came across Set Free when I was pastoring in Oceanside. And actually, I, I came across them when I was a punk rocker. Um, Set Free's been around for a long time, and they'll all, they would show up at all the punk rock shows and do security, because they're like big, scary, tattooed guys, and we were all like little skinny punk rock kids, right? So like they'd make sure no one died and you know pull kids out of the mosh pit when they're getting trampled and all that. And I remember like, oh, Set Free is like, that's cool. That's a good ministry. And then I remember um, I was a pastor and I was in Oceanside and I was surfing and I was changing out of my wetsuit. And um, right next to my truck, there was a bench and there was this homeless guy sleeping on the bench and I could smell the alcohol. I mean, he was wasted, right? And all of a sudden this like creeper van comes pulling up <laughs> and all these thugs get out of the van. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, like I've got my wetsuit at my ankles and a towel on. I'm like, Ugh. and they walk past me and they wake this guy up and they go, hey, hey, you want to get sober? And I go, oh, it's set free. And the guy's like, yeah. They're like, you okay? He's like, oh, it was a rough night. Like, you want to get sober? We can help you get sober, man. We can help you clean up. And he was like, oh, oh. come on, man. You want to get sober, don't you? You don't want to live like this. And he was like, yeah, I guess so. And they just picked him up and put him in the van and drove off. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Kidnapping for Christ. So <laughs> now we, we, we joke about that though, but like, and some of you might be like offended by that, but I want you to understand something. Um, you, you know, Teen Challenge does that. A lot of groups do that. And then they'll take them to somewhere in sober living that's rough because you get sober for a couple days and you're like, ah, I don't like being sober. I want out of here. And I remember uh, Pastor Brandon Davison, pastor at Tulare Street Church. He went to Teen Challenge in downtown Oakland. And after a couple days, he's like, I don't want this Christian thing. I'm getting out of here. And he walked out into downtown Oakland and went, oh, I'll take Jesus instead. <laughs> and he walks with Jesus today because of that. See, when you become open-handed, you end up meeting world changers. You end up partnering alongside them. Like Clovis Hills, we get to be fellow workers alongside with this Christian kidnappers. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. I, I, I joke about that, but like lives are being changed all over when we become open-handed. You, you, have, you have to understand that. The other reason generosity is genius is... Um, Generosity helps you invest in what matters. 
See, it's, it's really, you can invest in AI and that's great. You can invest in whatever you invest in. You can buy another home. You can buy another this. You can buy another that. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you should grow your money. You should put, put your money to work. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you, there's this, this concept in the, in the scriptures where you're supposed to set aside a portion of it for God and his work. That's part of being a Christian. That's part of being obedient, obedient to God. And when you do that, you invest in something that's eternal, that moth and vermin can't destroy. Okay? Number, number four is this. Generosity frees our hearts. If it, there, there's something about when, when you begin thinking more about others than about being safe. No one, no one ever wants to be greedy. Like most of us don't think we're greedy. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll, I read an interesting study about that and I'll tell you about it in a minute. But, but what happens is when you become generous, like my friend Susan, like she was afraid of nothing in her life. She really was. She just was like, yeah, I do this. I follow Jesus, you know. Um, people would be like, hey, you got to slow down on the Jesus thing. They're going to fire you. She's like, no, I'm good. And if they do, God has me. Like she just had a freedom to her. This, this, this fear that the world, give, give me your best because I serve the Lord. So the, the other thing that happens is like you don't have to be rich to be generous. With the little you have, you, 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 you're generous with what you have. And um, I, we're gonna show you a video. Hopefully the tech works. Our computer is is on the brink, okay? But we're gonna, we prayed over it, laid hands on it. We're hoping that it'll make it through this service. But I wanna show you um, this video. This is someone who um, became a member here at the Hills and, and it, it changed their life because of other people's generosity and now they wanna be generous. So go ahead, watch this. Honestly, my life was a mess. Um, I came off of drugs about 24 years, sexual abuse. Um, I have three kids. I'm a single parent of 24 years. So I have two um, twin girls that are 13 that are going to middle school right now. So I came to Hills because of the shoe giveaway, Kicks for Kids. It's a big deal because if anybody knows the price of shoes, it's expensive. And I have twins. So it's a big deal. So I came here two years ago. And then last year, not last year, but the year before that when I came. And I changed my life and I came to Christ and I came here. I decided to give back. And I wanted to give to my community. So I wanted to make a big deal on the people who came in to get shoes. That it wasn't just a pair of shoes. It was changing lives. It was a seed put in. And if I could do just that little to change somebody's life, I'm all in it. Okay, I never thought that I could ever be from the, raised from addiction. Never in a million years. Like, the addiction had a hold of my life. And God saved me. And I want to save other people. I want God to save other people and give the other people a chance at what I have. So I went over and beyond and gave more to raise the life because I believe that God can do miracles. He done it in my life. It's a psych out. They bring the video back. 
Sorry. I love the hills because open arms, they didn't judge. It didn't matter what I wore. They accepted my kids for who they were. And I don't have a family. And they opened their arms like a family. Because this church changed my life. If it wasn't for this church, I don't know why I'd be today. I was still, you know, here and there with addiction. Even though I, I went and got, I got treatment. But when I came here, God convicted me. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to do it. I have no desire. No, you know, when I think about it, it makes my stomach turn. And I just, I look at my kids and I'm just like, man, I thank you, Jesus, for changing my life. But if, if it wasn't for the people at Hills, it's the people in the church, that's what changed. They do it again. Hi, my name is Christina Sadu. I've been raised to life, and I'm all in. There we go. Come on. That, that video team does it to us every time. It's like emotional terrorism. You're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I'm glad it's over, though, because I'm feeling bad. And then they show another part. You're like, oh, my gosh, God, you're amazing. And then they did it a third time this time. So here's a question. If um, being generous is genius, and it has so many benefits, then... Why are people not doing it? You may be asking yourself that. Like, why, you know, why, why is there so much greed in the world? And I'm gonna tell you there's four things. I'm gonna go quick through them. Why I, I, I think so many people kind of shy away from generosity. Um, one, wealth is powerful and deceptive. It is, it's powerful and deceptive. If you look what it says in Matthew um, 13, 22, um, or 24, it says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful, right? Jesus is giving the parable of the sower, and he says that um, the word of God in us gets choked by greed. And you're like, well, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not greed. I don't know if you know this, Zogby um, does all kinds of surveys to figure out what the culture believes and what they think. And they conducted a large benchmark poll um, in which uh, respondents identified that greed and materialism was the number one most urgent problem in American culture, Right? Um, poverty, economic justice uh, finished in second place. This is an interesting thing. 78% of Americans uh, disagreed with the famous quote from Gordon, Gordon Gecko that says, greed is good. It creates wealth in this world. Only 19% agreed. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, another recent poll by The Economist um, asked, what is the deadliest of the seven sins? And overwhelmingly, Americans picked greed. Westerners picked greed, right? We all think greed is bad, right? Can I get an amen? Greed is bad. Okay, okay. Um, but here's the interesting thing. Um, most people think it's a terrible problem, but most people don't think they are greedy. So uh, BBC conducted a poll on the seven deadly sins, right? Anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, sloth. Greed was the last on the list answered in the two questions, which sin do you struggle with? It was always last on the list with every correspondent. Uh, and plenty of people cop to being lazy, proud, envious, angry, but greedy. Seven out of seven said they weren't greedy. 
If greed is the number one problem in the world, and we all populate the world, we might all be a little guilty of it, if we're honest. And here's what I mean by that. It's, I, I don't think any of us in this room are sitting back going, ha, I must have more money, and you're Scrooge McDuck bathing in a bathtub of gold coins, and like, like that, that's not the thing. But here, here's what, what, what happens is um, gr- greed has this weird lure to it, right? Um, and that's number two is the lure of mammon worship. The Bible talks about that, that mammon is this an analogy that, that, um, that money is the thing that's going to make you okay, right? If I have enough money, I'll be safe. If I have enough money, if something bad happens, I can get through it. And I love what Jesus said about mammon in six, Matthew 6, 24, the passage we read today. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The other reason why, that is ominous sounding, isn't it? Tim. I got him back there. I just called him out. But listen, that's the wrap it up music, but I got to get to this. The reason why we all struggle being generous, if we're all really honest, is it demands faith. It demands trusting God. And as a pastor, I looked at Susan and go, don't do that. But this is a woman that understood the principle of the sower better than I ever could. And she taught me about it. Or she tried to teach me about it by giving me that book. And there's one place in the scripture, you know, we're told don't test God, don't test God. And I'm guilty of that. I've, you know, God, if you're really saying this, make the phone ring. You know, God, if you want me to marry this girl, would she please ask me out because I'm a chicken? You know, that, that kind of thing. But there's one place in the scripture where God says, okay, in this way you can test me. And it comes to our giving. The Old Testament concept of the principle of tithing, that God's people would set aside a tenth of their income and give it to God. God said in Malachi 3.10, he says this, I love it. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this, right? Bring the tithe, test me. Watch what happens. Watch me, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. The other reason we all think generosity is genius, but we struggle being generous is because our hearts deceive us. It's, it's a reality. Jesus said it in verse 23 of the passage we read today. He said, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What he's talking about is whatever you fixate your eyes on, like if you have fixated your heart on retirement, if you fixated your heart on financial security, you fixated your heart on status, you fixated your heart on a man or on a woman or on a job or on a possession or on a thing, your heart will be full of darkness because those things were not meant to be the number one priority in your life. You weren't created that way. You were created to worship God first. He says, because, but if you're eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light, the light within you is darkness, oh, how great is that darkness? 
And many times we have darkness in us and we don't even realize it. You know why? Because the Bible says that our hearts are deceitful. You know how you, know, you see the, the little slogans on Instagram and on social media. It's like, trust your heart. You're enough. No, don't do that. Actually, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And some of you are like, I don't believe that. Okay, hold. I know I'm going long, but you got you to think this one through. What does social media do? It feeds you all the information that you want. It catches the algorithm of the beliefs you have, the things you like. There are people becoming billionaires, 100 billionaires on this principle that we will just lie to ourselves and tell us what we want to hear and say that's the truth and demonize another, another group of people. The heart is incredibly deceitful. We all live in that denial. And and part of, part of the job of scripture is to shake us sometimes and go, hey, wake up. You belong to a different kingdom. In Revelation chapter four, I was reading it this morning in my, my, my quiet time. And it's such a beautiful scene. It's such a cool scene. Revelation is a trippy book, right? You get in it and like, you know, there's like dragons and rainbows and beat, beat an ox with eyes all over its body. And you're like, what is going on here? So in Revelation 4, though, John, the, the disciple John, right? He, he's, he, he has this vision of heaven and it's a door and he walks through it. And when he walks into the presence of God, there's this room and it's a throne. There's a throne sitting in it. And surrounding it, it he says, is a, a rainbow, but it's like an emerald. So you, you picture like surrounding this throne is this kind of like, circular rainbow with every shade of green in it. And then behind the throne, outside the circle, are 24 thrones, and there's these elders sitting on it. I don't know who they are. The Bible doesn't say, but they're, they're sitting on it. And they're dressed in white robes because they've been made pure by the blood of the Lamb, right? That's what's going on because they're saved. Jesus has died for their sins, so they're pure. There's, they're, they're, even if... God's washed away their sins so that the righteousness of Jesus is on them. And they're wearing crowns. And the Bible talks about that. That, that um, you know, when, when we get to heaven, we'll be rewarded for our good deeds and you'll get crowns. So they all have these gold crowns on white robes. They're sitting on the thrones behind Jesus' throne. Next to the throne are these beings, these heavenly beings. I don't want to call them angels because they're super trippy. They've got like wings and eyes and stuff all over them. But, but um, they're there. And then in front of Jesus in, in the circle are these seven spirits and, and, and they're, they're, they're pictured as like flames, as like fires, as like lampstands. And it says this is a regular occurrence in heaven in the presence of God, that these beings next to him with like the wings and the eyes and all the crazy looking thing that John describes it as, that they begin to sing, to worship Jesus. And when they begin to sing instantly, all of these 24 elders with their crowns on, John sees this, they all stand and they begin to throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And I've read that many times. I, I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah, we even sing a song in church occasionally. We fall down, we lay our crowns right at the feet of Jesus. But then as I was reading it this morning, it stood out to me. Um, I don't know if you know this, Every Sunday, there's a group of people that meet at 8 a.m. in the portable buildings over there, and they're praying for you guys. 
And it's our prayer team, and they're praying, and then they usually lay hands on whoever's preaching, and they pray over them. And while they were preaching, like, or praying over me, um, just a spirit came upon me, and it, that, that verse came up, and it dawned on me, like, this is a regular occurrence in heaven. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Thanks, Lord. Um, you know, and then I feel like God was like, no, no, Sean. If that's a regular occurrence, what happens to their crowns? They throw them at the feet of Jesus. Well, the reality is, is you can't outgive God. So you throw your crowns at his feet and he gives you more. Because when we sacrifice, that's a point of worship of God. These 24 elders understood the principle like this means nothing. Some of you today, you're the king of your life. You're wearing the crown. And for whatever reason, you've run from God. You've run from his love. And I want you to understand something. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He knew that our sin had separated us from him. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross as as, as a sacrifice for your sin. And the Bible says, but as many as received him, Jesus, that is, but as many as received him and believed in his name, he's given them the right to become sons and daughters of God. But you have to receive him. You have to make that choice. Jesus even said in Revelation 3.20, the previous chapter, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. I'm waiting for you to make that choice, to choose me. And you may think like, well, I've done too much. Or I I had a guy last service. He's like, pastor, I don't feel like I should be here. I had a rough night last night and I drank too much. And I said, this is the place you should be then. If the music's loud, that's okay. Plug your ears, suffer through it. That's what you get. But anyways, (laughs) he thought that was funny. But I want to remind you of what Paul said. And if you're contemplating Jesus right now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, I love what it says. I don't have it up for you. I'm just going to recite it to you. But he says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither the present nor the future nor powers, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to understand. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care how bad you've been. If I don't care, God really doesn't care. That Jesus saw you, he saw your life, none of it's a surprise. And on this day, on November 12th, the God of the universe knocks at the door of your heart. And you have to decide if you have the courage to receive him or not. Indecision is decision. You have to remember that. Putting it off is a decision. And why would you ever turn down a love so great? God loves you and has a plan for your life that is better than yours but you have to lay down your way and begin to trust Jesus and you won't do it perfectly I still don't but he's never failed me he's never failed me he's never failed me so if that's just you this morning I want to give you the opportunity to do that all you have to do is talk to God in the quietness of your heart invite him in acknowledge like yeah Lord I am a sinner 
And then tell him you trust him. Let's pray. Just take a, take a moment by yourself and talk to God.